My guest today is a nutrition coach, meal planner, personal trainer, and wellness coach. And if that's not enough for you to inspire you, well, she's a comedian and actress too. There's no doubt that you'll be inspired by today's episode, so stay with us. Welcome to the Beauty Aside podcast. I'm Gentry Quinn. I dropped out of school at the age of 17, got my GED, and still managed to build multiple businesses and a beauty line from the ground up. Beauty aside, each week we'll be talking with entrepreneurs and learning what it takes to achieve balance and what it really means to follow your dreams. Welcome, Allison. Hey. <laughs> hey, did you see how I like didn't say your last name? Because yes, I did. <laughs> say your last name. Will you pronounce it for us? I, re- I realize it's terrifying. It's, uh, it's Wojtovich. Okay. Yeah, it was giving me a little anxiety. I'm not going to yeah. lie. <laughs> because, it's, yeah, it's the Polacks. They, they confuse their W's and their V's, and they just like consonants, so it doesn't make any sense. But, yeah. yeah. On the upside, yeah. if if someone sees it, they'll remember it. I might exactly. not pronounce it, but I'll be like, "Yeah, it's the girl with the W last name that I can't pronounce." That's her. Exactly. I've already been making the joke. My boyfriend's <laughs> last name is Murphy, and I'm like, I think if I were to marry someone who has a generic last name like that, I'd want to keep my last name just to be a dick about it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, nope, you're not getting this. I'm keeping this one. You're like, this is mine. This is mine. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And, um, you know, I kind of gave people an overview of all of the, the things that you do with there. There are a lot of things that you do. So, and I know comedy <laughs> is a big part of your life and that yeah. you also just from reading your bio online that you double majored in college and kinesiology and also theater and dance. And clearly mm-hmm. you have a passion for both, <laughs> but they do seem to be worlds apart. So I would just like to know how do you merge and balance the two passions and also mm-hmm. does one outweigh the other? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'll answer your second question first. Um, I have been telling people that if I were sat down and told that I would guaranteed make a living, you know, I would get paid the same for anything, you know, just pick one thing to do. It would be the comedy and acting. Uh, and I tie those two together just because I really feel like the two industries feed each other a lot. I've seen plenty of comedians get famous doing stand up or writing for TV shows and then ending up getting to be on the other side of the camera as actors in those things um, that I would consider me doing stand up as beneficial to my acting. Um, so that's, I mean, that is my favorite thing. <laughs> and I don't feel bad in admitting that. Um, just because I do still love every other thing I do in my work. And if I were only doing comedy, I don't think that I would be as good at it as I, or as good at learning how to be good at it, I should say. (laughs) Um, just because, you know, having other things besides comedy is what makes your comedy good. You have to be living life to write good jokes. Um, I love that. Yeah. Cause I mean, no one's going to laugh if they don't, you know, if you're just talking about being a comedian, so few people are comedians that they won't really understand the joke that much. Um, you're applying your real life experiences to your act. So that completely makes sense. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Cause people, you know, people have real stuff. They sit in rush hour, they deal with the kids, they don't sleep enough. They don't like their bodies. You know, you need to be able to relate to people to make good comedy. And you definitely do relate to people you I looked on your website I read through everything um something that really touched me is you mentioned that you struggled with low self-confidence and Mm -hmm. body image in high school which I thought "Mm, a lot of people are going to connect with that can you talk to us just a little bit more about that struggle and maybe some steps that you took to overcome it because that's a real thing whether in high school or mm-hmm. you're you're no you know you're um you know in your 20 somethings or turning 40 i mean that's those are things that sometimes we carry with us through our yeah. whole life if we're not careful especially so can you just give us some steps for like how to get past that yeah i mean 
so I'll give a little more context on that too. Um, definitely was pretty low confidence, which you don't notice <laughs> in me. Cause I always say I have a resting nice face. My default is to laugh, which Aww. I think is really cool. But like, you know, if I'm actually upset about something, it doesn't really show through on my face most of the time. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely had like low confidence in high school, but it spiraled worse when I went to college, it turned into some, uh, eating disorders. Um, pretty, pretty low points. Like I basically was on the verge of anorexia and I say on the verge cause I was still allowing myself to eat some, but it was like, I had to exercise certain amounts uh, a day. I could only eat up to like 1200 calories in my head. You know, like that's what I thought my limit was. Um, and so by the time I came home for the holidays after my first semester of college, I was pretty underweight and my parents were scared and I thought I was being healthy so I just kind of told them to screw off <laughs> and uh, they listened because, you know, they, you want to give your kid independence and you don't know uh, for sure. But mm -hmm. um, shortly after that, it kind of flipped into like binge eating disorder for a few years. Uh, if you have a restrictive eating disorder first and you lose all that weight, you've basically put your body into starvation mode. Um, and so it kind of just backlashed at me <laughs> uh, for the next like year or so after, after that first semester of freshman year in college. Um, <clears throat> so like into sophomore year, I was having binge episodes. Uh, I gained the weight back and then some, <laughs> and um, it's just another way to deal with emotions that you don't want to feel. Um, so coming, uh, overcoming that, I think first came with me understanding like the type of decision maker I was, which I mean, I'll just say it up front. I would consider myself pretty type A. <laughs> okay. And and I say that because uh the type of goal setter I am and decision maker I am really I think was shown through how I reversed these feelings for myself. If you're curious about what kind of decision maker <clears throat> or goal setter you are, um I highly recommend you take uh Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies quiz. You can just Google that. Um, and it, she basically like asks you a series of questions and will tell you what type of goal setter and decision maker you are. I say all of that because my type is questioner, meaning that I am really good at setting my own goals and achieving them. But if someone else tries to set a goal for me, I am super resistant to it until I have asked enough questions that I've convinced myself it's actually my decision to set that goal for myself and then I'll achieve it. <laughs> um, so that being, that being said, I kind of dealt with this stuff because even though I had low self-confidence and I felt like I was being healthy in like starving myself or whatever, I was constantly questioning, like, is this really healthy? Looking for health sources that you know, would teach me more about nutrition. Cause at this point I didn't know anything about it. I just thought, you know, eat as little as possible, exercise as much as possible. You'll be skinny. And then you can land the lead in the play. That was kind of it. Um, and I started just questioning, what do I know about the science of nutrition really? And I started diving into like actual nutritional resources that went beyond just talking about calories. And I learned about, you know, anti-inflammatory foods and the paleo diet and veganism and all these different alternative modalities that I would have called bullshit on a year ago. But I learned about them while I was just in the depths of this eating disorder. And I knew I wasn't being healthy anymore when I started binging. And so I was like, how do I get myself out of this cycle? Cause it really just feels like, um, it feels like you don't have control over it. And so I was like, well, I need to learn more about nutrition, I guess. So I know actually how to feed myself properly. So this pattern stops. And so what, can I just, uh, sorry to interrupt, but just, no, you're good. just, uh, because I feel like there's a lot of people that are going to be able to re relate to this right now. And mm -hmm. you were talking about what you thought you were doing was healthy Yeah. at first. Can you tell us kind of like, what was that tipping point like? Because you think you're, was it, was it taking a class in a college that opened your eyes to hmm, maybe what I'm doing is not so healthy. What is, was it the parents' words and the, in the, the, the back of the brain? Like, you know, like what was it that, that kind of opened your eyes to hmm, maybe yeah. what I'm doing isn't really that healthy. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it was a couple of things. Uh, parents and other people noticing that I lost weight definitely was one. Um, and at first I thought that's what I wanted, but they, it became very clear to me that they were like, no, you've lost too much weight. Like you look unhealthy in the other way. <laughs> um, and then I actually uh, stopped getting my period. I was eating so little for a while. And so I was like, oh, well, that's not supposed to happen if this is healthy. <laughs> um, and then just noticing that I was generally depressed, which I had never been that way before. Like I said, my default is pretty smiley <laughs> um, and just genuinely happy. So when I started noticing that I was feeling really depressed and alone, I was like, okay, maybe there is more to food and more to exercise than just calories in, calories out. Maybe this could affect my emotions. Maybe this well, I definitely knew like, well, if you're underweight, you don't get your period. And so maybe my parents were right when they said I didn't look good. Um, yeah. How, so, very, how very intuitive of you though, to relate how you're feeling to also to the results of how you're looking, Yeah, um, you know, because we all know that everything is connected and and you know, you're sending messages to your nervous system. And when you feel something, it's so powerful. So uh, that was very intuitive of you to be so conscious of, you know what, well, I might be this, this on the scale, what I was shooting for, but I'm not feeling good. So right. something's not right. Um, you also mentioned that you think that doing what you love makes you healthier. Can you just talk a little bit about that and what you meant by that? Yeah. Um, this is one of my favorite things to talk about and kind of how I'm combining the two sides now. Um, I always say hashtag achieve your greatness <laughs> I love on, on the flabs to fitness platform because, um, one, I stole it from Shakespeare. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's the one who says, um, some are born great, some achieve greatness and some have greatness thrust upon them. And I like the achieve some achieve their greatness because that's the one we have control over. Um, so I was like, Oh, that's interesting. You know, if you're not born great and you're not thrust greatness, then that still leaves you the middle option to make yourself great. Um, so I think that kind of ties more in of just like, what would great be to you? You know, um, what is your ideal life? Is it being the best mom you could ever be and just raising this beautiful family? Is it, being a kick-ass CEO at some corporation? Is it being an actress? Is it um, being a missionary somewhere? Like what, what is, what is your dream life like and what do you want to do about it to make that happen? Um, and I say that because I think if you do have something like that, some passion like that, that you really want to achieve, you need to be working toward that passion, but you also need to really take care of the body that you're in in order to get to that passion. Because if you aren't eating well, you're not sleeping well, you're not moving your body around, you're not taking care of it, you're essentially just shortening the amount of time you have to get to that greatness spot <laughs> that you're looking for. Um, and you're also making it more difficult to get there because you can't move as well. Maybe you're tired, so you can't get as much work done that day as you want. Um, all those different things. And so on the side of the question you asked as far as um, uh, how does doing the thing you love make you healthier, that's more of an intuitive thing to me. But I think from a scientific standpoint, uh, it is, there's proven, you know, it's been proven that doing things that you consider meditative or fun, like decreases your stress levels and stress has basically been deemed the cause of all disease, <laughs> so especially in, in Western society where we have so much chronic stress that you see these chronic diseases also developing largely due to chronic stress. Um, and so I think doing the thing that you love makes you healthier because it is that stress relief. And if you can turn your job into doing the thing you love, like, holy crap, you are living a blessed life right there. You know, like you're, you're, you're getting to do a thing that doesn't cause you stress and make money at it. And then your health is just going to snowball from there even better. Um, so that's so, kind of my answer to that. But, and then the intuitive side is just like, I've noticed like my hormones have gotten super regulated 
since I've doing done the things that I like more. Um, anytime I find myself not able to get on stage for a certain stretch of time, I get really anxious, really depressed. Um, so that's kind of the intuitive side of that saying, <laughs> but yeah. I absolutely love this point that you're making. I completely resonate and agree with everything about the stress being at the core of all diseases. And, um, and yeah, if you can hit that sweet spot, like you said, of doing what you love for a living, that is wonderful. I, I mean, that is, that is a blessing. Like you said, I just, uh, also want to expand that and say that, um, even if you can just merge what it is that you love, even if that's not the thing that you're making money at, I do think that that would also make you healthier to your point, right? Because it's the feeling, it's the way something makes you feel. And when you're putting off that feeling, it's much more powerful than just like imagine, just like doing visualizations and just imagining something, right? Because your body doesn't speak English, but when you feel that's a vibe, that's a frequency, right? That's a Mm -hmm. vibration that you're putting off into the universe and that is going to come back to you, right? That's like the law. So I just really, really, really makes me excited um, that you mentioned that. And also you are constantly putting out pieces of your work to motivate and inspire others, especially online. Um, I know because I follow you and I see it every (laughs) single day, whether it's a fitness clip or a healthy meal tip or a pic of you doing comedy that makes us laugh or smile. Um, but social media can also be a lot of work. So behind Mm -hmm. that, the glitz and the glamour and the the cool pics, uh, when you're doing it for business, um, it is like something that you have to be very intentional about, like the quality Mm -hmm. of what you're putting out, the message that you're trying to create. So how do you keep yourself motivated to create meaningful content every day? And also, you know, if you have any tips, I would love for you to share those of how to keep the audience engaged, because if you don't have an engaged audience, then it doesn't even matter what you're putting out there, right? If Okay, I, I don't want that to be misconstrued because, mm-hmm. you know, whether two people look at it or 2,000, that I, I personally feel like the energy level should be the same. But the key right. is that we want to expand and grow our audience so that we can, we can give that message to more and more people, right? So it does mm-hmm. have to be meaningful and it does, you do have to engage people. So um, just want to know, you know, how you stay motivated to create that content. And maybe if you have any tips for all of us out there that are trying to engage with our audience. Yeah. Um, I wanted to actually touch on one last thing about like saying, you know, doing something you love, making you healthier. Uh, I just wanted to point out that like a lot of my work is online. So I do have in-person clients that I coach around town, but, um, a lot of my work is online. And so Uh, at the beginning of me doing standup, I actually moved back in with my parents. So I cut the cost of rent. Um, and then I started saving money. First of all, I didn't really have a savings (laughs) before that I'm young, I'm 24, but you know, still needed to happen. And, um, I spent, um, the money that I wasn't like I was saving some, and then I spent some money on intentionally going to other cities around the country and either staying with friends, traveling cheap, but basically like investing in going to other cities and practicing comedy in other cities. Um, and that for sure also made me feel a hundred percent healthier. Um, because even though I was spending money basically to go do comedy for free, which now I'm getting paid to do comedy, (laughs) but you know, I was, taking the money that I earned online, I didn't have to take time off from work. So I was still working throughout the day. Um, but I was getting to spend that money to invest in the thing that I loved. And now I have an opportunity to make money at the thing I love. And I still have my day job, you know, comedy only happens at night. (laughs) So, um, I still do my coaching and everything on the, during the day. And that still totally flipped my health. Like I am the healthiest I've ever been by far. So yes, you can definitely, lose money on the thing you love and still, it'll still make you happier. Like it's worth the investment. Um, even if you don't have a a goal in ever making money at the thing. Um, I just wanted to hit that before we moved on to social. I am so glad you, I'm so glad you mentioned that there's a moral to the story here. It's like, 
you have to at some point stop making up excuses. If you're a writer, you need to write. And I'm speaking yeah. from experience. There have been, oh, there have been a, oh, oh, here's a great, here's a great little message. Um, I actually stole this message from <laughs> Rachel Hollis. She said that, and she may have stole it from someone else. I don't know. But she basically said that you can do everything that you want to do, like everything that mm -hmm. you want to do. You just can't do it all at once. And yeah. I feel that's very applicable here because I, there are so many things that we're, I'm doing, you're doing, we're all doing out there, right? We all have these, maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe it's two things, maybe it's four things that we're, we're passionate about. But the moral to the story is if, if, if you're a writer, write. If, yeah. if, you're, if you're a comedian, write or practice or mm -hmm. whatever, practice for your friends. Like you don't have to be up on a stage to you know, practice your craft. I don't have to uh, write an award-winning screenplay to write. I just, right. you know, like do whatever fills you up. Mm -hmm. And, and that is what we're talking about. I think when we say doing what you love makes you yeah. happier, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Cause like, it's just, let's say it's your, again, getting into the, I call it woo woo shit, the spiritual shit. <laughs> um, but like, you know, getting back into that, like being in touch with yourself, it's, if you feel that you have a need to do this creative thing, or even if it's not a creative thing, but I think everything is a creative thing, whatever. Um, if you feel that you need to do a thing, then you need to do it. Like it's, it's just going to bother you more and more every day you go without doing that thing. If you've been saying, I need to, I need to sit down and write some new music. If you've been saying that for six months, like you're probably really freaking itchy to go sit down and write music. Like listen to that and go do it. You probably have a really cool thing that needs to be created and you're the one that's supposed to create it. And you're just sitting on your resistance, letting it get the best of you. And you're just going to get more and more frustrated. And so you actually do it. So yeah, big believer in that. <laughs> Amen to that. That's uh, listening to your gut and yeah. not making excuses for, I feel like I feel like I, by saying that quote, it was a little like, it may have been not as pointed, but just, just to clarify what I meant by that is that you can have as many passions as you want to have and you can do them all, but you just don't feel like you have to do everything at once. If you're focusing on your comedian career right now, mm -hmm. you don't, you might have something else that takes a little hiatus or sits yeah. on the back burner for a little while. It doesn't mean you stop loving it. It just means that something else might be priority. Maybe maybe you're super in debt and you have to focus for the next mm -hmm. six months on just making money to make ends meet. Yeah. And then you can start doing, you know, that other thing that you love again. So that's what I meant by that. Just wanted to be a little bit more pointed with that. Um, but those are such great messages, Allison, which is why I'm so glad that I'm talking with you today. I know so, this is such a good conversation. It I love is. It. <laughs> it's so I'm, I'm getting motivated just talking to you right now. So, um, <laughs> So, so the next question was yeah, online. creating content. Yeah. Yes. Creating content. Like how do you keep people engaged? How do you keep yourself motivated? I need to know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I definitely, I have two different social media platforms for like one for the fitness side, one for the comedy side. Um, I didn't really consider like, cause the comedy one is just my personal page. Like it's just, that's what, you know, I created in high school when Instagram, like I think Instagram came out like right before I graduated high school or something. So, um, I like got it and that was just the social media that my friends followed, you know? And, but when I started doing comedy, I was like, Oh wow, there's some really good stand-up comedians who are doing the exact same social media marketing stuff that I do for myself, but for comedy. And I was like, Oh man, let's see how I can do this on my personal page. And I've never had the goal of getting followers on there. I just want to share what I'm working on and, but like my engagement on there has been so good and it's really cool to see. Um, I will disclose too. So, um, I, I do the health coaching stuff, all that. Um, I actually also do social media copywriting and strategy for a couple different companies in the alternative health space. So like I am like flabs to fitness does make money on on social media work as well. So that's part of the income for the business. And that's why a lot of my work is online. Um, most of my clients are online too, like for training and stuff, but I do have several companies that are paying my company to do their copywriting and or social media 
content creation, um, which is again, why I know how to do it on my channels. <laughs> um, so first of all, staying motivated to create content sucks. And I think motivation doesn't, motivation shouldn't be the reason most of the time. Um, it's, uh, and I've actually started falling into this on flabs to fitness, which was the one that I like would tell myself, you know, you have to post something every day. It has to be useful, whatever. Lately, I've just been like, you know, if I'm not feeling sh like sharing something today, I'm not going to share it because that takes the realism out of this account. Um, but when it, when it comes to, um, actually creating the content, especially for my clients, I never have a day like that. Like I know these clients are expecting me to have posts written for every day. Um, and they look like this and they sound like this, whatever. Um, when it comes to content creation for those clients, and I'm starting to turn this into how I do it for my brands, um, is I like carve out time each week to sit down and create the content for the entire week for that client. And I'll use scheduling platforms like CoSchedule and later, um, to auto post those things for me. So I basically just create the content, make sure the links are right. And then, um, I, I, that, that platform will post it for me. And then, um, you can choose to get notifications, uh, from those platforms, uh, that will let you know it's been posted, or you can get notifications that tell you to post right now. You've got the thing already created. You just hit post, but it just makes sure that you're aware that it's been posted and you can kind of engage with your audience when you're posting. Um, that's how I do it for clients. And again, for myself, I'm starting to do that more just because it is a time saver. And, you know, if you are telling yourself, I want to post every day of the week, some days you're not going to feel like it. So you may as well plan the content ahead of time. And the benefit of that too, is you get to kind of say, okay, I know this client wants me to post these different promos this week. What's the value we're adding in these posts? And like, why are we keeping people interested? Um, always coming from a place of like, we genuinely want you to feel like this is a value add and this is, this post is worth engaging with. Um, so that down the line, if we do try to sell to you, like it feels worth it to you. It's not just us being sleazy salesmen popping up once and saying, Hey, we have a sale today and then not posting anything of value until you have another sale. Um, so I know that was kind of a long answer, but no, yeah, like no, it's, value it's addition is always first when it comes to me for, for my clients. It's like, we need to be of value. And then that way people feel like you're worth giving their money to if you decide to sell down the road, but always just give value first and genuinely try to help people with it. I, um, I actually think that is, that's like such valuable information because I feel like, and I feel like you feel like this too, showing up, just showing up. Mm -hmm. is so important and being consistent. Yeah. Uh, and there are going to be days when you are not motivated or that you're not feeling it and you don't want to be um, coming across as, as um, someone that is not being genuine yeah. and you never want to come across as just being like a salesy person. I mean, that's not your personality. It's not mine, but surely when you're, I mean, let's, let's not forget your businesses, right? That we exactly. have businesses yeah. <laughs> and businesses need to make money or they're just hobbies. So, yeah. um, so that's a I, good point though. Like, like you need to feel too. And I think this is why so many small businesses have issues is because we know that what we have has value, but we don't like the feeling of saying sales because we don't want people to think we're selling them a cheap product. But the thing that flipped my mind on sales is like, no, I know my product is good. It's worth me asking you for this money for it. And if you disagree, then you just don't need to give me your money. But I, I will continue showing this to people and saying, hey, no, it really is worth this much money. And at some point, someone will say, you know what? You're right. Like you're offering actual value to this. I need your help or I need you to do this service or I need to purchase this product from you. Um, and just staying grounded in what your worth has really helped me also, you know, just be willing to ask, have the money talk and then also be willing to say no when people aren't willing to meet you with that. Um, because if they're not willing to pay you what you say you're worth, they probably also don't think you're worth that. And they're just not going to like working with you at all. They're going to find a reason to get rid of you. Um, I, but I, I could not yeah. agree more. I literally just had this conversation with one of my 
good friends about a week ago who just started is starting a new business journey. And, uh, and, you know, she's telling me, you know, it's, it's hard to charge friends for, you know, this business, but there's a lot of value to what she's offering. And so we have the same conversation. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. I know it was weird. Even when I had the store, having friends come in and buy things like that transaction felt weird because it's like taking money from a friend. But at the end of the day, you know, we, the, the conclusions were the same. And, and Mm -hmm. also I would like to add, um, something that you do. It's like a little side note that I think is really valuable. And I also try to do it as much as I can too in my Hill group and just uh, whenever I make videos, which is giving people free information. Mm -hmm. I I just, I think that that lends uh, credibility to your brand because it's not all about what I'm selling or hire me for this or that you are basically showing people by giving them a free video or giving them free wellness tips or whatever it is that the myriad of things that you do very well online, you're, you're making your brand and yourself credible. So, and by giving people that free important information. So, um, I'm just sharing that because I I've noticed that on your social media and I know I do it as well. And I think that, sometimes people, um, maybe people could get kind of past themselves if they focused Mm -hmm. more on the people that they were trying to help instead of, uh, sitting there feeling all weird kind of ways about selling, (laughs) so to speak. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a really clever way that you do that. Yeah. You sell yourself. And it's also the thing where like, I would not be my ideal client like as a questioner, questioners are probably the people who are able to like actually get information and use it. Um, whereas a lot of people don't like, you can give as much information as you want, but those people aren't actually going to implement it until they have someone coaching them on how it would be uniquely applicable to their life. Because we would not be having all of these health issues right now (laughs) if people would just sit down on the internet for half an hour and Google Google like healthy diets, Google how to work out. Like there's so much information that we have at our fingertips. We just don't use it. We don't apply it. And so the benefit of me giving free information is like, you know, that I know my shit. And if you are that type of person to just get information and use it, then great. I've done my job. You don't need to pay me anything. But if you do need someone to help you get more hands-on and actually change behaviors, that's why coaches are valuable because we know that behaviors and habits are like hardwired into people. And a lot of people don't know how to break those patterns and rewrite them into new beneficial ones. So that's kind of where the coaching thing comes in. But I also like to tell people if we're talking social media that like, I consider social media very much a marketing tool and not a sales tool. And marketing is not sales. They go together but marketing is like the slow drip campaign where you're adding value on Instagram or on YouTube or on your podcast (laughs) and you're just being a presence in people's lives, genuinely just giving information. And that way you are a regular occurrence on their newsfeed. And so when that need in their life comes up, then they say, Oh man, I just gained some weight. Like I need to hire someone to help me what pops into their head is like, Oh, I follow that fitness person. Let me look her up. Let me give her a call and see if maybe like she coaches. And that's how like marketing makes sales over the long term. but you're not actually going to see like you're, you're going to see, it's like a super low percentage of people who will actually swipe up on your Instagram stories ad and buy it all immediately, or, you know, tap on your shop here thing and buy immediately. Like usually they're seeing it on your social media and they like your content, but they'll actually walk into the store or they'll actually call you, you know, like you're not going to get the link analytics directly from social media, unless you're a purely online store, then it's a higher percentage like you guys are. But you, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's- it, it makes complete sense to me. You literally have to put yourself in front of people's faces every single day because they're not, e- the people's attention spans are very small and also in everyone's defense, we're very, um, overwhelmed with all of the, this, there's like so much stimulation out there. Um, we might, we might remember something we liked, but we can't 
we don't remember where to go back and find it. Right. So I feel like it's just like the first, the second, third time someone might not even recognize you, but then maybe the fourth or the fifth time or the 10th time you post something and, or you put something out and it resonates with, with someone or, you know, it's a, it's a title that catches their eye. And then the process of, of everything begins at that point. But you just, I think these are really great points and tools and, um, for those out there listening, we did not even intend on talking about social media for so long, but I mean, Allison, you're a pro and I, and I think these, uh, these are really valuable things to share with people. So I'm so happy that we are talking about it. Yeah. Um, that's just that whether you like it or dislike it, it's a part of our culture now. So, um, it would probably benefit you to participate if you're not. And if you are participating, these are ways that you can improve so that what you do matters more and you're not wasting your time. Right. So I think that's, the, whole, the whole rule is just intentionality. You know, even yes. if you're only posting two or three times a week, like as long as they're really solid intentional posts, that's worth a lot more than paying some big like marketing company to just post generic things every day for you. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great that's, tip. Great. I love that word too. Intentionality. Oh, love it. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch back to comedy for a minute because most of us, when we think about comedy, it's really frightening to us. Um, and Me we want to watch it on Netflix from <laughs> our living room and laugh. And uh, so I'm just curious. And for those interested out there that may be curious too, how can someone get up enough courage to try it for the first time if they may have I don't know, maybe if they're interested, they they think they've caught the bug. Maybe they're not sure, but they're curious um, whether this is the right path for them. Maybe they've been in acting and, you know, and so this is something that they're thinking uh, might kind of, I don't know. I don't even know what people are thinking. I would (laughs) would be terrified to be on stage, but I know that there are people and I've always wondered about what that would feel like too and what it takes. So can you just kind of give us a little inside info on um, how someone could get up enough courage to try it for the first time. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to preface it by saying, yeah, the only reason I even tried stand up was because I was acting and I had just been hired by this company called Shitface Shakespeare who <laughs> love the name. <laughs> I, I love Shakespeare. Like I grew up doing classic stuff. Um, classic theater and I love it but I got hired by that company and they get one actor drunk for the show and then basically the actor is allowed to mess up the show in any way they want and it's up to the rest of the sober cast to deal with it and that's a lot more improv than I had ever done so I hated the idea of taking an improv class it just seemed like a lot of pointless games to me no, no knock on people who like it. It is actually a very difficult art form, but I just didn't feel myself drawn to it. But I was a lot, like a lot of people, a huge fan of stand up, And I was like, well, maybe I'll try that. That'll at least make me funnier. So I did it because I thought I wasn't funny and I wanted to get funnier and be better on the fly for my acting troupe. And the first time I went up, I knew I hadn't properly written a joke. I had no idea what it was like to write a joke. Um, But I had spent about a month just going to a couple different open mics around town and just watching, watching how they work, seeing what happens, recognizing that there's like, okay, there's like a comedy community here. I'm seeing the same people go up at these different places. Okay. That's how it works. Okay. They give you a light in the back of the room when your set's almost done, like just wanting to learn the rules. And then the day that I signed up and tried it, I just went up and told some dumb story that I thought was funny because I knew I was so dang scared to get up there. I just needed to get up there once and do as bad as I needed to do, (laughs) get off. And then it was over. Right. And then I could go to another mic and actually try to like write some jokes. Um, So for me, like my number one piece of advice, if you want to try it is just get up there your first time. You're not going to do well. It's going to suck. You're going to hate it, but you're never going to be that scared to do it again. And I'm still, and I say this with the preface of like, I am still very scared every time I get up on stage. I've been lucky enough to be opening for uh, Jen Fulweiler's tour and 
I mean, she sold out a thousand person theater in Chicago a couple months ago and I opened for that and like it, (laughs) it never gets easier, (laughs) but you get better at it and you get better at kind of compartmentalizing the fear because you know how good it's going to feel to go on stage and have fun with what you're doing. Um, but yeah, so you were so right. You're so right. I love that you said that go up once and you'll never have to feel exactly like that again. Yeah. It's kind of like breaking the ice. Um, I definitely have never got up in front of a, a live audience, so I can't speak on that level, but even just doing something with local TV, I remember, how scared I was and how much I practiced before I went on the first time. And, um, and you're a hundred percent right. You'll never feel like that again, but you'll always, I think there's something wrong if you are not a little nervous. Um, there's something about being nervous that creates pressure and pushes you to, now this is just my opinion now to, to like do better. Um, and then of course, once you're up there, you probably, I mean, it's probably pretty addicting. I would imagine the feeling of of like, of doing it live and having that energy. I can't (laughs) imagine. I, I, am I right? I mean, I, Oh yeah. So there's this great book called the war of art by Stephen Pressfield. And he, I, it's an easy read, but he defines any sort of fear or things like that as resistance. And he always says the stronger the resistance you feel, the more you're probably supposed to be doing the thing you're scared of, (laughs) which I just love because I tell people all the time, like whenever I'm on stage, I'll get off stage and people are like, wow, you're a natural, like you look so comfortable up there. And I always reiterate to them. I think I'm just addicted to adrenaline because I have the worst stage fright. But as soon as I get up there, yeah, something clicks and I'm a different element of me getting to do that show even if I'm bombing my ass off, like I still just stay up there and I figure it out. And usually that's the most beneficial one, (laughs) but it's a lot more fun to go up and do really well. Um, and yeah, it's, it never goes away. I mean, even to this day, like on Jen's tour, like I can't eat before a show. Um, I will be pacing around. I'll be looking over my set list a million times. I'll go on stage. I'll do great. I'll have the blast and then I'll come off and suddenly (laughs) I feel all of my human emotions again. I'm like, wow, I just did that. I'm shaking. I'm hungry. I need water. Like all of the things come back, but it's just, it really is just like this physical response. And I, and I do agree with Pressfield when he says that the higher the resistance, the more you're probably supposed to be doing a thing because yeah, anytime you overcome it because you know, it's going to be a thing you love. You just have the time of your life. And yeah, if you aren't nervous about it, you probably don't care that much about it. Um, doesn't mean you shouldn't be doing it, but you know, gauge, gauge what your, what your passion really is. Like, you know, <laughs> I absolutely love that. I think that was so well said. I would like to elaborate on it, but I'm like, no, you said everything. That was absolutely perfect. <laughs> it's like being, it's being in the zone. What you're describing is being in the zone and yeah. anybody that's ever felt that knows can identify, can relate with what you're saying on like to their specific you know what I mean? Passion or circumstance. Um, but yeah, when you know what it feels like, that's so important because you also will know when it's not right by knowing what feels right. I'm not sure if that makes sense, but I'm just saying once you've yeah. felt that before, then you always want to feel that again. You know, it's like, it's like how you measure yeah. um, your passion, I guess. Um, <laughs> So so you mentioned opening on a tour, which is just so freaking cool getting to, like we mentioned earlier, you're getting paid to do something that you love. And also I just want to say congratulations because (laughs) people can work so long and never, never even have that opportunity um, that you are most definitely prepared for. Um, You also co-host a show in Austin every other Saturday. Do you want to tell me about that just for a second? Yeah. So first of all, the tour is great. I got super lucky with that and I've only been doing stand up for like a year and a half. So it is insanely dumb that I'm getting to open for a tour already. Um, but yeah, it's been wonderful. And my show is, uh, yeah, it's every other Saturday at fourth tap brewing co-op in North Austin, uh, it starts at eight and 
and it's super fun. I am like getting back into running that Instagram too. <laughs> the, uh, the old co-hosts moved to Los Angeles and gave me the spot. So I was like, give me your Instagram info. I'm going to bring this thing back to life. So <laughs> I've awesome. been uh, working on that the last couple of days, uh, basically treating it like a client so it can get some more butts and seats, but it's a really fun show already. It usually packs out the brewery and yeah, we just hang out. We bring in a lot of local favorite comedians. If there's someone from out of town that I can get on, then I get them on too. Um, yeah, just hanging out, telling jokes, drinking beer, if that's what you're into. And yeah, so, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap. I'm, I'm putting that on my list of things to do in Austin. If you live in Austin, there's no reason not to go have some, um, insane fun, uh, I feel like laughter is also a medicine. Oh, sure. um, it definitely upregulates those gene cells, people. So <laughs> on a wellness <laughs> level, it is healthy. It is healthy to laugh as much as yeah. it is for you to be doing what you love and making us laugh. Um, I just, when, one last uh, big question that I have is, what would you tell someone that's not convinced yet that, or maybe feels like they will ever be convinced that they can make a career out of doing something that they love. Ooh. Uh, this might come back to a little bit of the woo woo stuff we were talking about earlier. Um, I like woo woo girl. Sorry. I know. <laughs> I'm into woo woo. I like my sage every day. I, like, I, I do all room. that stuff. <laughs> I saved my room right before this call started. Yeah, so. girl. So <laughs> it's all good. So, yeah. Just in the fact that um, what you said earlier about the vibration you put out, um, when you feel good, you're sending out a vibration to the universe. Um, I don't know how much your listeners believe in like law of attraction stuff, but at least for me, I've noticed a great shift in just my general happiness as well as the trajectory my life is taking since I have gotten more conscious about clarifying what I want and thinking about what it would like to have that. Um, because that's how manifestation works in a way. Um, I'm by no means telling people you have to manifest your life. You have to do a lot, but first just clarifying what it would feel like to get that thing that you really want is super helpful because that's kind of your guiding beacon. You know, you come up with what would my ideal life be? And then just sit and think about that for a few minutes every day. And your brain will automatically prime yourself to look for opportunities to make that life real. Um, from a scientific standpoint, the brain does not like to be wrong. So if you are thinking about your ideal life as if you already have it, your brain will suddenly start subconsciously looking for ways to build that life so that that becomes the reality eventually. So that's the woo-woo side. On the practical side, I would say once you have decided what that dream goal is, look at what you're currently doing in your life, what's not serving that, get rid of those things and then start finding ways to do things that will serve that ultimate goal. So if you, I mean, some of them are difficult things. Like um, if you're working this job that you hate and you would like to switch careers, you know, um, start saving the money so you can quit that job and change career paths. Or if you decide to just quit right away, make sure you, you're registered as a Lyft driver or something. Um, look into alternate ways to make money until that passion gets you the money that you need. Um, and on that note, we are so dumb about how many options there are to make money. We really don't need that much. <laughs> so if that dream life is really what you want, I definitely drove for Lyft for a long time and shoot, I still get on there sometimes. I like accidentally totaled my car this year. So I had to get a new car. Wasn't expecting that financial cost. So I started driving for Lyft again to pay off the car faster. Um, especially in America, we don't give ourselves enough credit for how many opportunities we have to easily make money, including Lyft. Like if you own a car, you literally have a business on your hands. Um, if you uh, just want some mundane job that'll cover your expenses so that you can spend all of the time you have off outside of it, creating and building that new job, go get the barista job for a, a few months while you spend the time you're not scheduled working and using your creative energy to build the job you do want. Um, but yeah, the, the practical piece of advice is just picture that dream life and then do 
do an inventory check on what you're currently doing, what serves you, what doesn't. If you really want to make a change to go for that ideal life, you actually have to cut things out and actually have to bring things in that will set you on the trajectory to get to that dream life. That is so beautifully said. Do you hear that people? (laughs) So many ways to make money. I think that sometimes we get caught up in our own belief systems and the power of the mind is like you said, it's so powerful. Let's change the dialogue, right? Instead Mm -hmm. of saying, what if all of this bad stuff happens? Maybe we just need to say, what if, something good happened. What if all the good happened? What if all the good happened, right? And that's the core of the law of attraction. It's just like, stop meditating and thinking about the bad stuff. Start meditating on what you're grateful for. And that can be things you're currently grateful for that you have right now, but you can also think about things that you want that you don't yet have, but say, I am grateful for having those things as if it currently exists. You'll feel what it's like to have that thing. And then you're just setting your, your brain up and you're your attraction up to find your way to that thing to make it a reality that you have it. So. Oh, I love the way you just described that. Just uh, that being grateful is leading to the feeling and the feeling is what we want to create. Mm-hmm. Oh, you are so, you articulate things so well. I'm so, <laughs> I'm like, I'm listening. It's like poetry uh, <laughs> talking to me. I love this. Um, I just want to thank you so yeah. much for being here today, Allison. Um, just thank you for sharing these powerful messages with us. We, I feel like we all need more people like you in our lives. So for those listening in, um, we're going to post all of Allison's social media handles um, below. And if, if people are out there and they need a little bit more motivation or inspiration, also, we just want to remind people that, uh, for a daily dose of inspiration and smaller bites, you can visit us on our Facebook page and with our heal group, uh, called heal together, which, um, which you can also find, uh, wellness coaches and practitioners like Allison out there, uh, Mm. giving free support and guidance. Um, but thank you again, Allison, so much for being here and, um, and hopefully, uh, we'll have a part two in the future. Yeah. I super enjoyed this. Thank you so much for having me on. I really, really great questions and good conversation. So I love it. We're going to have to do the the part two and follow up with this, uh, this tour. So just, I knew you before you were like super, super famous. So (laughs) you're just gonna have to remember that since we talked about it live here in the podcast (laughs) and and come back when, uh, when you're, um, yeah yeah that's it I'm gonna stop I'm gonna stop there we'll reshare it when I have an actual fan base <laughs> we'll reshare no, the <laughs> I'm not gonna let you get too big for me is what I'm saying I'm gonna let you I'm gonna, I'm gonna be like remember me oh for sure <laughs> but yeah um lots of love to you and uh and also just happy new year yeah likewise thank you so much okay okay bye bye